Well, I am excited. I'm glad you're here today. You sound great. You look great. And today we're going to launch into a brand new series for the next several weeks. We're going we're to jump into this series called The Worry War. And uh, this series is not a series about mental illness or mental health. Uh, it's not a series about talking about depression, uh, talking about anxiety. What we're going to do is we're going to look at how do you deal with that. Um, here's something I know to be true. There are seasons and circumstances and situations in your life, and many of you are going through them right now. I, I don't know everything that goes on in everyone's life at the church, but obviously a lot of things do get back to me, and I know that many of you are dealing with major issues, family struggles, marital issues, health issues, issues with your children, financial issues. Every one of us have been through seasons or are currently in seasons where just the, the pressure of life is upon us, and you don't have to live very long to know that there are powers and forces in this world. There are things that can happen to us that are, frankly, beyond our control, correct? We can't control everything that happens to us. But here's my premise as we begin today. We can control how we process it. We can control what we do with it. We can control how we understand it. And we can control how we deal with it. And that's what this series is about. The series isn't about talking about the fact that, you know what, a lot of us deal with depression, a lot of us deal with anxiety. You know what, all of us deal with stress. All of us deal with worry. We do live in a world where, where we have, I'm thankful, we have more knowledge about things like mental illness and that it's actually being dealt with in a more just outward way. I'm thankful for things like Bell, Let's Talk, for ending the stigma associated with mental health. There, there are real physiological things that affect people that need real doc, like medical treatment. And we believe that here. We are a church that we, we would never say that it's not okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. We believe that. However, we also believe that it's not okay to stay that way. And that God wants to take you from illness to health. He wants to take you from victim to victory. And so that's what this whole series is about. And so we affirm the, the conversation happen, happening around mental illness and depression and anxiety. We're, we're thankful for that. However, I would argue that we've never lived in a time with more information about things like mental illness, depression, anxiety, fear. We've never, we've never lived in a time with more information about it and less ability to deal with it. I would argue that there's more people, more medication and more, diagno more people diagnosed with mental issues and mental health challenges than ever before and less capacity in our society to actually deal with the stress and pressures of life. And so more and more people are just viewing their situation through that funnel of, well, I'm having these feelings, I must be mentally ill. And that isn't always the case. I had a conversation this past week with uh, two doctors in our church. Our church is blessed. We're filled with uh, doctors, and we have several uh, family counselors, uh, psychiatrists. And I, I took aside, took 10 minutes, and just wanted to pick the brain of two doctors this past week, Wednesday night. And I just interviewed them and asked them some questions around this because I want to admit to you, uh, I've never dealt with clinical mental illness. I've dealt with stress just like you have. I've dealt with anxiety and, and fear, but I've never, I've never had to have medication and I'm thankful for that. So I wanted to make sure, though, that I wasn't coming at some biased assumption and just saying, well, you know what, uh, I, I just don't understand what I'm talking about. So I wanted to talk to some professionals. And so I asked them, one, one being a family physician and one was a psychiatrist, and just, hey, tell me about mental illness and from a, from a Christian perspective, how are we supposed to process this? And both of them were very quick to say, well, of course, there are those who, you know what, you find yourself in a situation where physiologically you are going to need some treatment and some, 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 some help to actually get healthy. Mental illness is a real thing. However, uh, specifically the family physician said, a lot of the people who come to my clinic, in fact, right now, about one in four people who come to my practice, they come uh, citing some type of symptoms that they think roots back to mental illness, depression, anx chronic anxiety, and fear, about one in four. And he says about 20 to 25% of those 20, 25%, so a fraction of a fraction, are actually people who I would say need some type of formal treatment to get help in that area. The other ones need to learn some tools as to how to deal with life. And that's what we want to talk about here today. And uh, the, the, the psychiatrist affirmed that. And, and she said, 
She said, it's not that people have more mental illness than they used to. It's that we have less ability to actually deal with the stresses and pressures of life than never before. She says, people just lack the tools to deal with the stresses and pressures of life. But here's what she said, and here's what I want to go today. She said, but Jesus gives us the tools to deal with life. And so that's what we want to do today. We want to look from a biblical perspective. We want to look at what the Bible says about how to do this thing called life. Because I'll tell you what, it's not a cakewalk, is it? It's not easy. Life's not easy. Life is hard. And I look out in this crowd, and I suspect online as well, there are just a, a multitude of situations that, frankly, can just make you stay up at night, make you pace the floor. You're losing sleep. You're losing weight. Or maybe you're gaining weight. Some of you deal with it opposite. Uh, I, I, there are tons of things going on in your life. And so the question is, how does the Bible, how does our Christian faith speak in to this whole war on worry? I don't want to talk about worrying. I want to talk about warring against it. Because Jesus very clearly said, don't worry ever. Don't worry about anything. So in his mind, that commandment, he would never command us to do something that he won't resource us with the power to be able to do it. And so he says, don't worry. He says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. So there is a way with Jesus to be able to do this life in victory, that we can stand in the day of trouble, that we can stand in the war on worry, and that even though things are going crazy on the outside, I can have peace on the inside. I firmly believe that, and I've experienced it in increasing margin in my life in, in different seasons, and I, I hope that's what we can get out of this in this series. And so today what we want to do is we want to set up a framework. We want to set up a framework by which we're going to understand this whole war on worry and how through faith and how through our trust in Jesus, how through the gospel, it actually gives us the equipment, the tools, like our psychiatrist said, the tools to actually deal with the pressures and worries and difficulties that we all face in life. And so that's what we're going to do. And we're going to do that today by looking specifically at what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. This is a letter he wrote. Uh, it's about 60 AD. He wrote it to a group of people in a town called Ephesus. It's in modern day Turkey. Turkey. And in that day, that was a, a town, it was a political hotbed, it was a, a religious hotbed, and it was kind of a socioeconomic hotbed. It's where a lot of industry, it's where fashion was kind of a major player. It was kind of like the, the cultural epicenter of that region. And so here are these Christians trying to figure out this thing called faith and reconcile it with their regular lives that they're living in. And so Paul writes them this letter, and the first three quarters of it, he's talking about what Jesus has accomplished and how we've been made alive in Christ, the old is gone, the news come, how we've been crucified and he's risen us to life and talked about the complete work of Jesus. But then he gets into this and he says, finally, he wants to leave them with this, to frame in their thinking so that when they go, when they leave the church service and they go back out into their jobs, back out into their families, back out into their world, they've got this framework by which they're now going to filter everything. And it's this that's going to give them victory in the battles that they face. And here's what he says. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is a battle that he actually fights for you, but there's something you have to do. Watch this. Put on the whole armor of God. We're going to unpack that. That you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, since that's the war, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil, in the evil day, and having done all, stand Firm. So he says some things right here. I want to unpack this for a second before we go into what this armor means and how we're supposed to frame in our thinking. But he says a couple things, and it's so significant because if we don't get this, we're going to be set up for failure from the beginning. He, there's a couple things that, are, that pop out to me. First is this. He wants us to know something about the battle that we fight. And he, wants, he, he right away confronts a lie that every one of us are prone to believe. Every one of us. I know this to be true. And here's the lie. When it comes to finding peace, when it comes to the war on worry, most of us live as though if I can get my exterior world in order, 
if I can get my bank account right, like if I can get my, my money right, if I can get my, my marriage fixed, if I can get my health back in order, if I'm not dealing with that diagnosis, if I didn't have this stress, if that work thing wasn't going that way, if I can get that in check, then I will have peace. Is that not the logic? That my outer world, that my soul is the byproduct, the state of my soul is in, in direct correlation and relationship to the state of the world around me. And so we live that way, and so we live and we work and we, and we try, and we, when we fight this battle, we, we, what do we do? If I'm, I'm dealing with stress at work, the, the, the mindset is, well, I got to go fix work. Or I'm dealing with stress over here, or stress in that area. Well, the mindset is I'm going to work twice as hard to try to fix that thing that's causing me stress, and then I'll feel better. But here's what I know to be true. You can have everything in your exterior world going right and still not have peace on the inside. And on the flip side, you can have everything in your exterior world going wrong and have perfect peace on the inside. Here's the lie that Paul wants to say. He says, our battle is not against flesh and blood. What's he talking about? You don't fight this war in the physical. This is not a war on money. This is not a war on your wife or your husband. This is not a war on your kid just getting smart, smartening up. It's not a war on the government. It's not a war on taxes. It's not a war on whatever that thing is that's causing you stress. Paul says there's a thing behind the thing. That's what it is. That's where the war is. This is an invisible war. It's, it's spiritual war. And so the way that we fight this war, don't get duped into the deception that if you can just fix your money, then all of a sudden you're going to feel better. It's a lie. He says, we war not against flesh and blood. We war against powers and principalities of darkness. That there are dark forces in this world trying to rob, kill, steal, and destroy your joy and your life. And so the battle is not fought in this kind of physical field, this physical plane. The battle is fought in the spirit. And the battle zone, where that all takes place, is right here. It's in your mind. And so we first and foremost have to confront the lie. And then what does he say? He says, understand that you are in a war, that this is a battle that, that, that is happening. And then what does he say? He says, but don't, he, doesn't, he does not say, but don't worry. It'll all work itself out. Just hang tight, does he? He says, no, he says, put on the whole armor of God and take your stand. That actually we have a, a part to play in this fight. That this is not something that is just going to work itself out, but in fact, God is actually calling you and I to fight this fight in him. And so there is a fight of faith that we have got to actually embrace. So we got to confront the lie, and here's all I want to do today. I want to confront the lie, and I want us to start to choose to fight. I will not be a victim anymore. If God has given me a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind, then I'm going to access that, and I am going to stand my ground, and I'm going to learn how to do that. And that's what this series is all about. It's about learning how to stand our ground. Thanks. It sounded like I just hit a putt at the Masters. Oh. Nice little clap there. So we're going to stand our ground, and Paul gives us some framework, and and really what we're going to do is just kind of set up the framework, a way that we can start to think about how faith in Jesus applies to the everyday fights. And that if we can kind of get these things in order, that gives us the armor or the equipment or the tools to be able to actually begin to deal with the things that happen to us in life. Because again, you cannot, there are things in this world you can't control, but how you deal with it, that's up to you. And so we're going to choose our stand. We're going to make our stand. And Paul says to put on the armor of God. This is the analogy he uses. And now you got to understand, when Paul wrote this letter, he was in prison. He was in a Roman jail. And he was in prison. And he was writing letters to various churches that he had planted. And he's writing to the, to the people in Ephesus. And presumably, he was there and in, within eyesight of a Roman guard. And so he's trying to picture, to create this analogy so that his people that he was communicating to could have a framework to understand how faith in Jesus completely destroys the works of the devil and the enemy and it actually gives us victory in the war on worry. There is armor that we can stand in. And so he uses this analogy by 
looking at a Roman soldier. And so we're going to break that down. And there are six things. I just want to get these six things on the table today and start to work out of that framework for the next several weeks. But if you can kind of get these things in order, this will actually give you the armor and the equipment to deal with whatever is coming at you. And I know you all have your situations. You all have the things that are coming at you. So here are the things. There are thick, six things that he talks about, six things that you and I need to check, check on and get in order, have kind of a checklist in order to stand our ground and stand firm in the war on worry. So he says this, verse 14. He says, stand therefore having fastened the belt of truth. So he first says, the first thing you have to do in the stand, the first thing you do is fasten the belt of truth. Now, I'll explain this, but let me just write this down for a minute. Here's the first thing to check. Check your God. This is the first question you need to ask when it comes to the war on war. You start to establish your framework of understanding. The first thing you do to kind of get the equipment set and get set up is first and foremost, he says, fasten the belt of truth. And this is a question about who or what is the ultimate power in your mind. Who or what has the final say over your existence? Who or what is the highest power in the cosmos? He says, fasten into the belt of truth. Find the highest truth and consult it or him. Here's what I know to be true. Anytime I've faced something difficult, I've faced something difficult, and I suspect this is true for you. Maybe you had that appointment with the doctor and they gave you the bad news. Hey, it's cancer. Many of you have dealt with that. Maybe you, you had the day where you found out that your spouse was, was going behind your back in some way and it just, it just broke your heart. And whenever major things happen in your world, whatever they are, what they do is they tower over you, don't they? And all of a sudden... Cancer becomes the highest authority in your mind, doesn't it? Or joblessness becomes the highest authority in your mind. Or that situation that's happening in my kid's marriage, that becomes the highest situation in your mind. And Paul says, first and foremost, do not allow anything to be greater in your mind than God himself. So first and foremost, you establish God is God and everything else falls beneath him. Fasten into the belt of truth. It's such a cool picture that he used a belt. Now, uh, for us, belts are just, there's some function. Uh, some of you need belts to hold your pants up. Anybody? Anybody honest in church? If, I didn't, if it wasn't for my belt, it'd be awkward. Uh, some of you just wear belts for fashion. Uh, but for a Roman soldier, a, they, the belt actually had this great function. The belt was actually this piece of equipment that everything kind of tied back into. It was kind of this, this centering component that wrapped around the soldier that basically locked all of the other pieces of equipment. That everything else, if, if it wasn't for the belt, would kind of just, just get, get lost and fall off. But the belt was the thing that kind of held it all together. And so when he says, put on the belt of truth, he's saying... Sift everything that you are going through in this, wrap your mind, wrap around yourself this reality that God is high and exalted, that he is seated on the throne, that he is sovereign, meaning that everything that happens in my life has to pass through the belt. That everything in my life has to pass through God's sovereign hand. So, so here's the thing you need to check. How big is your God and who is your God? Because in the moment of fear and in the moment of trouble, that thing is trying to convince you, be afraid, be very afraid. And here's what I know to be true. Whatever you fear the most, you live unto. A lot of the time we pit faith and fear as, as, as exclusives. They're not. In fact, this is not a question of faith or fear. This is a question of fearing the right thing. This is why it says in Proverbs 9, verse 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. What does that mean? It means foundationally you begin with God is God. God is God and everything else is temporary. Isn't it amazing that if you can just begin to worship God and begin to elevate God in your mind, like we talked about in our worship service, as you magnify the Lord, your problems begin to become smaller. They get minimized. As you magnify God, the problems get smaller. As you remind yourself that, hey, God is eternal and everything I'm facing right now is temporary. 
Everything I'm facing right now is temporary and God is eternal. God is infinite and enormous and everything else I am facing right now is limited. And so you consult the higher power. This is what I love about the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. Uh, the, the Bible says that an angel came and told her that you're going to give birth to the Messiah. Hey, no pressure, but you're going to be God's mom. Uh, can you imagine being 16 years old and having that task in front of you and she's already engaged and all these things that she could start to worry about. Well, what's Joseph going to think? And they're going to think I was sleeping around. Uh, my, my town could actually stone me because that's how they roll at that time. She could have worried about a million things, but the Bible says she chose not to worry. What did she do instead of worry? She worshiped. And it goes into this, this thing in Luke 3. It said they called the Magnificat. And it's this, it's this worship song that Mary came up with. It says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And as your soul magnifies the Lord, it minimizes your problems. And so that's what she taught us. We have to begin to sift everything through the truth about God. This is what Paul meant when he wrote in 2 Corinthians 10. I want to read this scripture to you. This will help you understand it, bring it a little more framework. 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, Though we walk in the flesh... We are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion. Other translations say pretension. Raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. What is he talking about? Here's where the war is won and lost. First and foremost, this is where the belt of truth is so important. That you have got to consult what the ultimate truth in your universe is. You've got to remind yourself that, okay, I, I, I'm going through this. I feel these feelings. I, I'm afraid of this. This is happening. But this thing is not my God. Jesus is Lord. It's reminding yourself in the face of cancer. Okay, cancer is not my God. Jesus is Lord. It's reminding yourself in the face of, of loss when you lose someone you love and you're at the funeral home. Hey, you know what? Death is not my God. I serve a risen king. I serve the one who, who rose from the dead in complete victory. Jesus is Lord. And so I'm not going to let myself fear something that Jesus has already conquered. That's what it means by taking every thought captive. Why? Because the enemy tries to impose his will on you by, by towering over you and blocking your knowledge of God. And so we lock into the belt of truth. So the first thing you have to check in that moment, in the war on worry, when anxiety starts to flare up and worry starts to flare up, is first and foremost, okay, fasten in to the truth that there is one God, there is one Lord, his, his name is Jesus, and everything else falls under his feet. And I serve him, and I fear him. Victory begins when we rightly order the great powers of the universe. Victory begins when we remind ourselves God is God, and the rest is beneath him. Fasten into the belt of truth. Verse 14, therefore, having fastened into the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So you got to check your God. And then as he says, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Here's another check we want to make when it comes to your six and it comes to kind of framing in and getting fit for the fight. You need to check yourself before you wreck yourself. Check yourself. You need to check your God and then you check yourself. Why does Paul go from kind of establishing the truth and then what does he talk about? He talks about the breastplate of righteousness. Now the Roman breastplate was this component that went over the chest and its job was to protect what? The vital organs. Yeah, the things that are a matter of life or death for an individual. Is to protect the heart. And this is a picture Paul is trying to imply something. Again, he's not saying, okay, Ephesians, you need to leave this church service and go out and buy a breastplate. It's not what he's saying. He's talking about this simple fact. Guard your heart for everything else flows from it. And so the first thing you check is your God and then you put on this breastplate of righteousness and you have to ask these questions. Okay, what defines me? Who defines me? Who am I? Where am I getting my self-worth and identity? Do you know how much of the anxiety that you and I face in life actually comes from a deep-rooted sense of insecurity? 
Do you know that? So much of the, of the war of, on anxiety, so much of the, of the worry and the trouble and the fear that you and I all face and deal with actually roots itself back to a level of cosmic insecurity and it's in, it's in, insignificance that we deep down don't know that we are loved by God, that God is for us, not against us, that we deep down don't know, uh, you know, in the end, can I, can I trust that things are gonna work out for me? Deep down, that's where all this worry actually comes from. Who's gonna look after me? Who's caring for me? Who's in charge here? Uh, some people would call it an orphan spirit. This spirit that says, I'm on my own. And you know what? I'm helpless in a lot of situations. And so Paul says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. What does that mean? It means to fight discouragement and fear, you have to begin to remind yourself about the breastplate of righteousness. That is talking about Jesus. The answer is almost always Jesus in church. It's talking about what Jesus has accomplished. It's the gospel. The gospel is this. The gospel is this place of great exchange. There's this theological term called imputation. Not amputation, imputation, imputed righteousness, that God placed the righteousness of Jesus upon us. That's what the cross did. The cross exchanged our rags for his riches, our uh, orphanness for his sonship. It's this great exchange so that when you come to Jesus in faith, you are taking on the spirit of sonship. It's this place, the cross is the place where God does not uh, count your sins against you, but he gives you the righteousness of Christ. That's what the gospel is all about, that on Jesus he placed our sins and that we get to be called sons and daughters of God. That's the gospel. The gospel is this great exchange that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him, that he gave his son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, that we step into the so love of God through Jesus. That's the gospel. And so Paul's saying you have to remind yourself about who you are. That, that in Christ I am validated. In Christ I am vindicated. In Christ I am accepted. In Christ I am so loved. In Christ I am a son. In Christ I am a daughter with whom God is well pleased. When Christ becomes my identity, that's what imputed righteousness means. It means I'm wearing the identity of Christ. How often do we wear our worries our stresses, or our past mistakes. Don't we wear that day by day? And Paul says, no, 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 no. You put on the, the righteousness of Christ. That's who you are. So, so cosmically before God, God sees you as his son. Here's something I know to be true. If you take God seriously, like if God is the greatest problem and the greatest solution in all of the universe, like if God really is God Almighty, eternal, uh, sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, like if he really is God, then all of your temporary problems just melt away at the one great problem that is, does God like me? Am I okay with God? And the great news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is God doesn't just like you, he loves you. He loves you enough to give his son on your behalf. So, so Paul is saying, you have got to wear this reality that God is God and he has so loved you. Why is love so important? The Bible says the perfect love of God casts out fear. It casts out fear. If you, if you remind yourself in that moment, okay, have you ever had something happen to you? And this is, this is about being real honest in church right now. And y'all, y'all are here. Maybe some of you are like agnostic and you're just checking things out. Most of you have faith in God. Have you ever had something happen in your life where you were led to think, did I do something wrong? Uh, is God punishing me? Has anybody ever... When you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it reminds you that God is not punishing you. He already punished you on the cross in Jesus. It reminds yourself, it doesn't let the enemy get in and discourage you that, that God's not for you, he's against you. That you're all alone. That if you don't handle this, no one's gonna. The breastplate of righteousness reminds me I am loved, 
I am validated, I am vindicated, I am accepted, I have been made new, I, am, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live and I now live in him. That, that's what he's talking about, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. You remind yourself, I'm not the sum of my past mistakes, I'm not the sum of my circumstances, I walk in the identity of the son of God. That's, that's what it means to put on the breastplate of righteousness. In Christ is who I am. That's why Paul said in Romans 8, he said in Romans 8 chapter 1, he said, or Romans 8 verse 1, Therefore now there is no condemnation. How much worry and angst does condemnation cause us? We're going to deal with shame in a few weeks. But this is specifically about dealing with shame. Here's what I know to be true, though. You'll never walk in victory until you start walking in your identity in Christ Jesus. You'll never walk in victory until you start wearing that love of Christ that, hey, I am loved by God. I am loved by God. God is for me, not against me. You start to walk in that. You put that on and then you walk in it. And this is why he goes to this next thing, verse, verse 15. He takes it from the heart to your feet. Watch. He says, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Now here's where a lot of us go wrong in the war on worry. A lot of us believe in God. We, we believe in Jesus, that he died for our sins, but we don't actually walk in that revelation. That we, we, it's like we leave it at church. You come to church and you feel the feels and you worship and Jay does his thing and we're all, <laughs> right? And like, we're feeling that. And then you, what do you do? We, we leave and you go back out to the real world and you start doing, you start walking in your own strength. But Paul says, don't walk in your strength. You put on the strength of whose might? His might. And so what do we do? We walk, he's saying, put on shoes for your feet, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. That you have to put on gospel shoes, that wherever you go, you go in the revelation of the gospel of Jesus. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God so loves you, that God is for you, not against you, that he knows who you are. He knows you by name. He's called you sons and daughters. So, so why is that important? That's important. He's saying put on shoes as shoes for your feet the good news of Jesus. It's important so that when you find your feet take you into the funeral parlor to pick out a casket for your loved one, you're there as a son or daughter of God. You're there as a, a person who has the peace that passes all understanding going before them. You go in triumphal procession that the gospel is the thing that is supposed to carry you, not just to, to eternity. It's actually the very power that carries you through the day-to-day -day challenges of life. A lot of us think of the gospel as this thing that like we punched our ticket to heaven when we die. Well, yeah, the gospel did that too, but the gospel is much more than that. The gospel wants to bring heaven to your every step, every breath, every day. That's what the gospel is about. So he's saying, hey, put on your feet. Get, get grounded in the gospel. Let the good news of Jesus establish your mindset. Let it, let it frame in your steps. Let it be the thing that you walk in so that when you walk into the unemployment office, you walk in there as one who is loved by God, who's been bought with a price, who's been forgiven, who's been made, made new, who's been restored, who's been set on a path and knowing that God has plans for me. You walk in the, in, in the, in the power of the gospel. I, I'm a shoe guy. I like shoes. And I know this to be true. If your shoes are on point, everything else is fine, <laughs> right? And any, any shoe people? I got, some, I got some hunting dudes here who are like way more manly than me. You're totally judging me right now. I don't need it. <laughs> breastplate, breastplate of righteousness right here. No, but Paul is actually talking about something much more functional than fashion. Uh, the, the, the Romans actually had, uh, had th this type of shoe that was like a cleat, and it was, it was actually advanced technology at the time, and it gave them this kind of stability and footing that other soldiers and other armies just didn't have. And this is such an important piece of their equipment because it was the thing that actually kept them grounded and stable. And that's what Paul is getting at. So he's talking about your footing. He's talking about checking your footing. What are you standing on? I'm sorry about my writing. I'm a millennial. I've been typing since, since 2000. What are you standing in? What are you standing on? Wherever you go in real time, you need to go in the grace of the gospel. This is, this is Paul's mentality. 
Paul so trusted the gospel, he so stood on the gospel that everything that happened in his life, he had peace. He was good. If my shoes are on point, everything else works out. This is Paul's mentality. Like in, in, in his day-to-day life, uh, we read it a few weeks ago. He, talk, he talked about, I have learned the secret of contentment, whether in much or having little, having plenty or having, having little. I have found the secret of contentment. I'm good. I don't need a lot. I don't need a little. My, my worth and my life is, isn't based on what I have. My, my peace is not found in the sum of my externalities. My peace is actually found from another place. I'm good. He, he taught, there's this one scripture. Uh, people hated Paul. Like he had a lot of enemies. And, and some people wanted to kill him. And, and he, he would always respond to death threats with, hey, you know what? To die is gain. If you kill me, I'm good. I go to heaven. I get Jesus forever and ever. It's gain. And then some people, whoa, well, we'll let you live. And be like, huh? To live is Christ. I'm good. Right? They're like, well, we'll, we'll send you to jail. He's like, you can't send me to jail. I'm already a prisoner for Christ. I'm good. In every circumstance of his life, the gospel disarmed the attacks of the enemy. His shoes are on point. So everything else is on point. So here's the question. Like, what do you stand in? Do you stand in that constant conviction and revelation of the gospel of Jesus? Because if you do, you can't stay worried that long. You can't stay a victim that long. How do you stay a victim when you consider the cross of Jesus who became the victim on behalf of us all? The gospel gives us that stability to go through difficulty. It gives us that stability. It gives us that strength. That's on what we stand. When he talks about taking your stand, he's talking about having your feet firmly planted in the gospel of God's grace. God is for me, not against me. This is what he's talking about in Romans 8. Let me read it. It's one of my favorite passages of scriptures. He says in Romans 8, 28, he says, we know that God causes all things to come together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. And then what does he say? He says, what then shall we say about these things? I love how flippant he is about things. He was writing to the Roman church. The Romans were actually watching their loved ones be burned at a stake and eaten by lions. Things. My shoes are on point. What are we to say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If If God is for me, if God is for me, you can't knock me over. Me plus God equals a majority. If God is for me, who can be against me? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us along with him all things, all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. I've been justified, breastplate of righteousness. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life at the right hand of God is also interceding for us. Wow. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword or bills or or cancer or or marriage problems? As it's written, for your sake we face death all day long and we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But he says, no, in all of these things, and whatever your thing is, in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through the gospel, that's the shoes, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present or the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm good. That's what he's saying. I'm good. I'm good no matter what. I'm good. The gospel tells me I'm good. And so I walk in the gospel and I walk by faith, not by sight. Here's number four really quick. i got to finish up. I don't have much time. He says, stand with the shoes on your feet, having the readiness of the gospel of peace. And he says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Here's just really quick. Here's what this means. Faith is about expectations. Check your expectations. Here's what I know to be true. When I'm going through challenge, it's very easy for me to take my expectations all the way to the end of the negative channel. Like, like anybody, I see like 10 doctors in the room right now, so they're not listening right now. Anybody like consult WebMD when you've got like a symptom going on? Like you go on Google and you're like, I got this thing going on. You go on Google and all of a sudden you've self-diagnosed yourself with some like rare form of some disease that there's no cure for anybody. Like, that's just me. Don't judge me. 
no, you do that. Like we jump to conclusions a lot of the time. That's where worry, we, we actually compound our worry. Uh, we start to worry about things and we jump to conclusions. Oh, that's going to work out bad for me. Uh, worrying about stuff is a down payment on something that may never happen. So worry is. And he's saying, take up the shield of faith. And this is so crucial because what we are talking about here is not just believing in God, it's actually activating a day-to-day -day tangible faith. Faith is not belief. Faith is trust. It's trust. That's why Hebrews 11 says, faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's, it's conviction. It's, it's the evidence of things unseen. What's that mean? It's tangible. So in, that, in those gaps where you don't know how it's going to go, faith looks like assuming God's got my back. Faith looks like filling in the gaps with God. I don't know how this is going to plan out. I just know God's got something for me. I know God's working it out. That's what it means to put up the shield of faith. It's, it's, it's placing expectation on God. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to bring me through this. I don't know how I'm going to get over losing them. All I know is God is good and he's going to get me through. That's what it means to take up the shield of faith. Don't let the enemy make you jump all the way to terrible conclusions. Put up the shield and block it and say, I don't know. My God is able. I don't know. God is good. I don't know. He's never let me down. I don't know. He's faithful to the end. I don't know. All of his promises are yes and amen. He's going to work it out. That's what it means to take up the shield of faith. I'm preaching way better than you're acting. <laughs> and then he says this. Then he says this, and this is connected as well. He says, take up the, the helmet of salvation. Number five. I'm almost done. Another thing to check. Check the big picture. I'm one of those people, like if I PVR the Masters this afternoon and I, uh, and, and I'm, I like go to basketball and someone tells me how it ends, I'm not going to watch it. I don't want a spoiler. Anybody hate spoilers? Let me give you a piece of advice in life. You need to spoil that sucker on a daily basis. You need to go to the end of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, and you need to put on the mind of Christ. The helmet of salvation Paul is talking about is protect your thinking and don't allow the worries of today to dictate the big picture. Always remind yourself how the story ends. Revelation 21, 22, you remind yourself that this ends good for me. If I am in Christ... I know how the story ends, that there will be a new heaven and a new earth, that, that God will do away with all death, all disease. There will be no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, no more regret, no more confusion. We, there will be life and joy and increase forevermore. That's my destiny. And so Paul says, put that on your head. Every day you get up and you remind yourself, okay, what I'm going through is temporary. My destiny, my destiny is eternal life. Anybody play video games? Anybody honest in church? All right, all right. That's good, that's good. I, I, I'm going old school. It's been a long time since I played video games. When I had uh, my, my, my son, who's going to turn eight, uh, when he was like one, he chewed through my Xbox controller, and I never, I never replaced it. So I haven't played games in a while. But if I go retro, anybody remember Mario 1? Let's go way back, original NES. There was this thing you could do, this cheat code on one of the levels. If you got one of those, those turtle shells up against the, uh, the stair steps and you kept knocking it into the stair step over and over, you could get re repeated lives. You could get like 99 lives. And so if you had 99 lives, you, you just played different. Why? Because oh, I got lots of lives. I got lots of life left. This is kind of a really nerdy way to explain what Paul is trying to explain. <laughs> And that is this, how would you live your life if you knew you'd live forever? How would you live your life if you knew, well, I'll die, but I got an extra life. Well, I'll die, but I'm going to live forever. That's what the helmet of salvation is. It's checking the big picture. Well, big picture is, yeah, this really sucks. Yeah, this is really difficult. Yeah, this is really painful. But this is not how my story ends. My story ends there. I'm heading that way. I know the plans God has for me. They're plans to prosper me and give me a hope and a future. This is temporary. I got extra lives. That's the helmet of salvation. Put it on in the morning. Put it on at night. Put it on at work. Hey, I, there's a bigger picture working itself out in my life and God is bringing me through to it. That's what it means. Final thought and we'll end with this. And then he says this. 
Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Here's, here's the thing, last thing you need to check when we check our six. And this is really what we're going to talk about for the coming weeks is check your weapon. This is really what we're going to learn over the next few weeks is this, that God has actually given you a weapon not just to stand your ground, but to fight the fight of faith. And the weapon is the word, but it's not, don't just think of it as the Bible, the word for word. And when he says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, the word here is rhema. And rhema, it means spirit. It means, it means God's active power. What is he saying? He's saying God will be at your right hand. That when you activate your faith and you utilize the word of God, that you've actually been given a weapon for this battle. Did you notice something in all of this armor? There is nothing covering your backside. There's nothing. You don't have a shell of the shell of salvation. You don't have anything on your back. Nothing. Why? Because this is not a battle that we are running from. It's a battle that we are walking into. We move forward in faith. This is why when uh, Jesus was telling Peter about the church, he says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. A lot of us think that the gates are attacking us. The gates of hell won't prevail. When was the last time you saw gates, like as a weapon? <laughs> gates aren't weapons. Gates are defense. Here's the point. We, the people of faith, we, the people of God, we, the people of Jesus, we're on offense. And there might be things coming at us. And guess what? That enemy hates that we're on offense. But I'll tell you what, we move forward in faith. We move forward. We have the belt of truth fastened. My God is for me. He's above it. He's beyond it. He goes before me. We have the breastplate of righteousness that I am loved. I've been bought with a price. I am a son and daughter of the most high God. I'm vindicated, validated. I'm justified in Christ. We put on the shoes of peace, knowing that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for he is with me. We place on our wrist, on our arm, the, sh the shield of faith, and we block those lies of the enemy that tells us to, to be afraid, be very afraid, to, to, to give in to despair, to give in to anxiety. To, we, we block the lies that say, you know what, you're going to need that medication. You're going to need to go hit the bottle because you're not going to get through this without it. We block those lies and we say, no, no, on the grace of God I stand. I walk by faith, not by sight. We put on the helmet of salvation and we remind ourselves, hey, you know what? I know how this story ends. And even if I drop today, I rise tomorrow. And so we arm ourselves with the truth of God and we get the word of God. We get it in our spirits. We get it in our minds. We put it in our mouths. How often do I like, it's so hard in the moment when worry just flares up and anxiety flares up. What do you want to do? You want to curl up in a ball and just hope it all goes away. And God says, no, 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 no. That's not what we do. You stand up and you start standing on the word of God and you grab the word of God and you start declaring the word of God into your situations. You start speaking the word of God over your child who's breaking your heart and keeping you up at night. You start speaking the word of God. Put that sword in your hand. You start speaking the word of God and obeying the word of God over your finances and waiting for him to break through. The word of God is the very weapon that actually gets us through the battle. And there are a variety of things that God has actually placed in your hand. Isn't that an amazing thing where God says, use me? He lets you use him in the battle. And that's what it means to take up the sword of the Spirit. It's God has given me a weapon. Here's the question, am I using it? The number one thing that the enemy wants to do to lit, that, that you would live as a victim when God has given you the victory in your right hand. He wants to disarm you. He wants you to go through life like this. And God says, no, 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 no. Armor up, grab the word, and hang on. We're going in. I remember uh, a couple of years ago, and I'll leave you with this and I'll pray. A couple of years ago, I it was 2016. I was uh, in Atlanta, and I'm, I've had the benefit of being mentored by a pastor down there, and it's been huge for me, specifically just in areas of like, keeping my soul healthy and, and not burning out. And I've never led a church this big before, so it's all new to me. Um, and so he's kind of been walking with me year by year, a few times a year, I'll see him. And I was there early 2016. It was the first time where I was starting to find myself like legit uh, tired, 
um, starting to maybe fight the idea of discouragement. Um, I just had a lot going on and my soul was getting depleted. And uh, it was probably the grace of God or the wisdom of God, but he, he just spent some time letting us uh, just vent. Hey, man, what's, what, what's, what's going on? And I, I just for an hour, like, just... And you could do that, too, if I had that time, if I could sit down with you. Hey, what, what's... Let's cast your cares on him. What does that look like? Like You could do it. You have, there's names, there's situations. And so he let me do that and just never interrupted even, just listen. And uh, I was done. I was like, I think that's about it. I think that's chapter 10, so I think we're through. And, uh, and he looked at me just with love and he's just the father heart of God even and just said, yeah, those things, that's some heavy stuff. He said, that's all real. It all matters. There's nothing wrong with you. Because you feel that way. And then he said, but you don't get to be a victim. So identify it. And you stand in faith. And you remind yourself who your God is. And you remind yourself that that God, that great God, that God who commands the seas and who holds the skies and who holds the stars in his hands, you remind yourself who your God is. You remind yourself how for you he is. And you stand in that and you walk in faith, not by sight. And yes, faith is hard, but you walk in it and you take up that sword and you move forward. You do not get to be a victim. And that's what I want to say to you today. And that's what we want to do in this series is there, is, there are all kinds of voices in this world that, that, that will tell you in your stress and your anxiety and your worry, ah, oh, you get to be a victim. Here's, here's some meds. Or, oh, you know what? There's, there's a voice that'll say, you know what? You deserve, you deserve to get drunk tonight. You deserve to go do that. You need that outlet. There is a victim voice and it is so easy to hear. But there is a voice from God that says, you don't get to be a victim. I have already won the big battle. You need to stand your ground and stand in faith. And so I want to pray for you today. Would you stand? Stand. Um, well, I just want to pray over you as we finish up today. And we're going to learn over the next few weeks how to walk in victory and actually war against worry and anxiety and fear. Today, here's what I want you to do. I want you to Confront the lie, the lie that tells you that my peace is the byproduct of my external circumstances. It is not. The peace that passes all understanding will guard your heart in Christ Jesus, regardless of the situations you find yourself in. There is peace available right now, overwhelming peace available to you right now. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in many of your lives. I've been in the hospital room where the feeling wasn't despair, it was peace. I've been at the funeral where the feeling wasn't loss, it was gain. I've been there. The peace that passes understanding is a real thing, but you have got to activate it and actuate it and step into it by faith. Confront the lie and we're gonna commit to fight. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you. We believe that it is true. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us not a spirit of fear. We right now reject the spirit of fear. We reject that spirit that says, be afraid, cower, hide, medicate. We reject that liar and we say, you have not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but you have, you have given us a spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind. And so God, we are sharp, we are quickened, we stand in strength given to us by the grace of God, the sufficient grace of God. And so Father, we pray there is not, we, we just confess and declare in this place, there is not one situation in this place that is bigger than you are. There is not one circumstance, there is not one giant looming before one family or one person in this place that can touch you, 
You are above it. You are beyond it. You go before us. You are for us. You've clothed us in righteousness. You've called us your own. And so, Father, today, teach us, help us by your grace to stand on that truth of the gospel, to stand on that word, and to put up the shield of faith. Would we come to healthy conclusions? Would we draw healthy assumptions? Would we assume that God is causing all things to come together for my good, that he'll work this thing out too? Would we walk forward knowing, hey, I live forever. I know how this story ends. God, would you teach us how to war in the, in the war on worry? Would you teach us, Lord? Would you help us use the word of God as our great weapon, we pray. Father, we will not be victims anymore. You have given us the victory in Christ. Teach us to stand firm, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen.